episode of the Random Actor Podcast brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 402, recorded live on Saturday, March 7th, 2015. And here are your hosts, the man who isn't playing Twilight Imperium this morning, Andy Lopat, and the man who stepped up to record with me because he is also not playing Twilight Imperium, Brian Lindley. Hey. Yeah, Dave's out today for the entire day because he's playing an eight-player game of Twilight Imperium. What, what I find really interesting about this is, A, Brendan's not hosting it, which is not usually the case. It's usually Brendan hosting it. And B, the person who is hosting it has it down to, like, at 10.30, we will have hors d'oeuvres. And at 10.35, we'll pick our, our starting class. At 10.40, we'll create the map. It's, like, super detailed. I, I, I am surprised that Brendan is not hosting it. As soon as he said that, I'm like, well, Brendan's in town now. So, long board game? Hmm. But no, Brendan's not hosting it. That is a surprise. And I feel like sometimes you actually do need a plan because some of our D&D games, uh, they needed a plan. Yeah. I, I think maybe a bit more of a plan than we usually gave them, but I don't think detailed down to the to the minute. Yeah, no. If you have it that close, we have five minutes for our derbs. That's going to be, you're going to have to shift that around. It's going to have to be floating breaks. Right. Man, I, I, okay, I still do not get these super long board games. Oh, I mean, you play D&D. It's very similar. True. D&D, you know, for a good couple of hours, but he said he will not be done until one o'clock the next morning. I don't know. I don't see it as being too much different than our Civ games, which tend to last a day. And we still don't finish them. Right. It's funny oh, looking... Go ahead. I say it's funny looking through our like save folder for Civ, and you see like, oh yeah, I remember some of that game, and oh yeah, some of that game. It's just it's a graveyard of half-finished world, de- uh, world development. Yeah. I was just going to say Beyond Earth is actually considerably faster, surprisingly. Like, we've gotten through a game in a day consistently. Still need to keep trying that game because it's just it's just so weird. It's especially weird for you because you only view it in the resource management, whereas um, I tend to just do it in the regular view. So the world doesn't look that much different, but in the resource management, I can see it looking completely strange. Yeah, that's the old one. I always played in strategy mode because I don't care how beautiful the elephants look. I just want to know that there's elephants there, but there is no strategy view in Beyond Earth. You have to play it in the normal mode and that one. Really? Yeah, there is no strategy view in Beyond Earth. I have to play it in the regular mode. Huh. Yeah, I know. That was a surprise to me, too. I'm waiting for somebody to... You've got to be able to mod it to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already one out there. Yeah, I just have to take a look for it because it's just... Like I said, it's completely different. It looks completely different. There's so many different things about it. It's taking time to get used to and I still haven't gotten used to it. Well, maybe if we play more games with you, then you'll get more used to it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's the only way to get used to it is to play more games. Oh, more Civ games. That's that's a big chunk of time right there. Yes, yes it is. Especially since, you know, Hearthstone match can normally last only about 15 minutes. And then, hey, look, I could do another one. Maybe that's another 15 minutes. I don't have to, you know, set aside a chunk of time for that. I guess. I mean, if you took all the time that you spent on Hearthstone and spent it on Civ Five Beyond Earth, you'd be quite feeling different about it. Yes, very true. Very, very true. But I have to keep playing Hearthstone. They just did the uh, the new announcement at Pack East. The Black Rock Mountain. Which, side note, I'm loving how people are actually doing major announcements at Pack. Yeah, it's quite interesting how many people are doing major announcements at PAX. Because I think about it, like, oh, yeah, I went to that show, and oh, yeah, it seemed like it, some of the people were like, oh, yeah, it's PAX, whatever. And now it's like, it's PAX. And this isn't even main PAX. This is PAX East, isn't it? 
Yeah, PAX East, but PAX East is able to be bigger than uh, PAX Prime because the convention center in Boston is larger. So they're able to actually have more people at PAX East than they are at regular PAX. Yeah, but I'd imagine most of the companies that deal with video games are closer to PAX Prime than PAX East, ignoring well, are, uh, ones overseas. There are a lot of them actually in that New York-Boston area. I remember the uh, Boston indie game developers, we had chatted with some of those guys for one of our uh, PAX 10 sort of things. And there's actually a big group in that Northeast area. It's kind of surprising. Like, I think uh, Rockstar actually has a major uh, spot in the Northeast. I know EA's got a couple of places up in the Northeast. It's actually, it's a surprising hotbed. Granted, probably because of population density in the northeast is quite high. I guess it's something I need to research more. In case you know you ever want to. Have you thought about going out to any of the other packages or no? Um, yeah, I thought to go to east. Um, I'm still hoping for a north. North would be wonderful because I'm assuming that it would be Chicago area. Yeah, no, Chicago would be the perfect place for it because you got O'Hare. You've got all the trains coming into the town. It's centrally located in the north. It, it probably would be the, the best one. That's what I was hoping for when I saw that clock for PAX South where they had the central time zone. I'm like, yes, Chicago. It would be great. I could, you know, take the train in and literally take the train out the next day if I needed to. Yeah, that would be wonderful. But no, they had to do it down in San Antonio. I don't think there's any trains that go there. And even if they did, it's not a quick trip. No, it's not a quick trip at all down there. But, um, yeah, I, I would expect that I'll go to some packs in the future. I'm not sure when. Um, it'll depend on vacation time and stuff. Yeah, and plus actually trying to get tickets now. Trying to get the three-day passes. That's the, you got to prepare for that is what you got to do. Yep. So, yeah, Black Rock Spire, the second single-player adventure expansion for Hearthstone going to be interesting because they're uh, I, I love the last one. I love this idea of be, taking the game and kind of modifying a bit and the stuff you can't do with multiplayer because so everybody has to be on the same level but the single player game is actually pretty fun. There yeah, was one I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. Um, I was going to say what's interesting is it, there seems to be a lag in the iPhone and Android phone edition um, as opposed to the, the PC version. Really? Yeah, uh, Dodds revealed that the the phone editions are expected to arrive in a matter of months. Maybe that's when they're going to announce when they're doing the expansion on PC. Just looked weird and worded that it was going to be afterwards. Well, they finally got the uh, tablet version for Android out, so now they probably just have to mess with the scale and the, the UI interface. Well, I just said user interface interface. Wow. It's okay. How's that PIN number going? Those ATM machines. But, um... I'm kind of interested because some of the earlier versions of there, especially the class-specific challenges, were actually pretty fun. There was one where you were a hunter, and all you got was an entire deck of the same card. Gotcha. So it was 30 copies of a single card, and yet that card, once you once it died in-game, would give you another card in return, just like a random card. So it was like, well, what am I going to get? This is an interesting way of doing this thing. It does sound interesting to have challenges like that where they give you a pre-built deck so you don't have to rely on what you pick up as you play yeah that's the problem with all these expansions now which is, i've actually hit this problem is the fact well now first off i'm going to save all my gold now to buy the to open up each wing so that's let's see five wings 700 gold a piece uh, 3500 gold and i'm only at 1400 right now so i'm gonna have to get more gold for that but my, my thing is like okay do i buy the original packs 
or do I buy the expansion pack? I mean, I'm buying cards using the in-game gold. It's like, yes, there are less cards in the expansion pack, but I need more of the rares and the legendaries of that one than I do of the original pack. But there's still a lot of cards in the original pack that I need to buy. I was going to say, um, if it follows anywhere close to magic, the expansion packs usually are slightly more powerful. Oh, yeah. No, the expansion pack is more powerful, but there's a lot of those classic legendary cards that people just expect you to have in your deck if you're going to play. It's like, okay. yes, I, I just assume that people are going to have Ragnaroth in their deck on the higher level of the ranked matches. I just assume that. So I was like, okay, so I'll just assume to have Big Game Hunter. Those classic metagame connections there that I can't fight if I don't have the classic legendaries that cost so much dust to build. At least you have the option of getting it through dust, whereas with Magic, you, you literally have to buy packs until you get it. Yeah, that is that's a super plus. So one thing that I do have to say is I still have not yet spent a single penny on this game. Uh, to be honest, at this point, you've got enough time invested that it would be worth it would be worth the money because you've already gotten so much time played with the game. You know what I'm saying? Like if you put five dollars down, it's still five dollars for like. 30 hours worth of gameplay. True, but then I won't be able to say anymore that I still have not yet spent a single penny on this game. That's true. So yeah, this is going to be released in April. Five yeah. wings, 17 bosses, 31 new cards. I wonder what the new cards are going to do. So they're going to be dragon-centric, which is going to bring, hopefully, the, oh, I really hope the legendary dragons don't come back again. So I've said this multiple times. Hearthstone's all fun and games until, until somebody drops a legendary dragon, and then it sucks. Then it's basically game over? Pretty much. The legendary dragons, a lot of them are pretty hard to stop. Well, speaking, of, one... speaking of blood games, um, did you see the new Overwatch characters released? Yes. Oh, I love these two ones. Um, I showed uh, Zarya, the new female character, to Beth, and she was like, oh my god, I have to play her. I, I love that they're deciding to... It's not the classic, you know... Blood Elf wearing the skimpy Princess Leia bikini. I am so happy they're moving away from that. Yeah, she's a bodybuilder, and um, yeah, she's she's beef. Let's see what her, her backstory are... says. Um, yeah, she wanted to be a weightlifting champion. That's like you you would never expect to see that backstory years ago. Right. That's definitely true. The only thing that I've seen people complain about her is that she's Russian, and stereotypically, the larger women have been Russian in the past. But that's a pretty small objection in my mind. I don't know. Some of those Russian weightlifters are people that I don't want to meet in the dark alley. She reminds me of, um, oh, what's her name from Aliens? Martinez? I haven't actually seen any of the Alien movies. Oh, you should see the Alien movies. They're a little cheesy now because the special effects are a little dated, but they're good. Oh, no, I don't know. I'm not a big horror fan. Well, so Alien is a horror movie. I would say Aliens, the sequel, is more of a, um, an army movie, more like Starship Troopers, but with less um, parody of um, propaganda. Hmm. Well, if i got time, at some point I'll see if I can hunt them down. There's just so many other things that I'd rather be watching. That's fair. Um, it's just there are so many quoted lines from Aliens, like in StarCraft and all these other sci-fi movies and shows and games that um it's worth it to to watch it just to get oh they're referencing that so i'm actually excited about the uh, other guy as well the guy who looked like he's from red dead redemption for me i, I was less interested in him than i was with uh, zaria but i can understand that futuristic gunslinger not a bad option no not a bad option at all. 
fall. And hopefully my streak of being able to get into Blizzard betas early uh, will continue. The only problem with you getting into the beta early is that you won't be able to play with us because we probably won't get in the beta early. True. That is very true. Yeah, it's half the fun is doing it with people you know. And the pugs are, you know, okay. But yeah, playing with people you know. Yeah, I can see this game replacing our usual Team Fortress 2 games. I don't, um, I might not actually agree with that because when we do TF2, what do we normally do? We do against bots. Yeah, and I feel like that the, the happier medium is because we're all playing TF2, but we're playing against the computer, all of us together. If you're playing Overwatch, then we would have to split up the group again, and that probably will not end well for some people. Well, so, I mean, there's still teams, and I'm wondering if, I wouldn't be surprised if there's eventually a mode that is us versus bots. Yeah, because that kind of is the norm now, to have some sort of Ford mode where you're just slowly overrun by everybody. Right. You know, man, I love the I love the style of this. I love the characters. This is just, it looks like it's going to be fun, and we'll find out in the fall, and I hope that we'll get in the beta. Absolutely. Moving on to more Blizzard news, apparently they're offering college tuition in their esports tournaments. Yeah, the Heroes of the Storm college tournament um it will also be actually televised live on the espn network so that's surprising yeah definitely so yeah it's gonna be broadcast on espn and all five members of the winning team will enjoy up to twenty five thousand dollars per year of college tuition that's that's pretty cool oh man i didn't even read that far enough down in this article it's not only espn it's prime time on espn wow definitely have to so, say esports have been picking up yeah oh great Really, hey, you're in college credit by playing video games, which what are you going to do most likely if you go to college and play video games? But um, actually, this can segue into another topic, which is interesting. They did a study. Um, event manager Eventbrite conducted a survey and they asked people about uh, what they want out of an esport event and how much they're willing to pay. 19% are willing to pay up to $200. I believe it. I mean... How many people pay about that much money to a t- uh, football game? Football game tickets, uh, probably less than that. I'd say they're probably in the $75 range for a decent pair of tickets, or a decent ticket to a football game. But what about the Super Bowl? Oh, the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Those tickets, yeah, good luck. Those are probably in the $500,000 range. So it's not that surprising to me that somebody who is as passionate about sports would spend $200 for eSports tickets. Okay, I could see that. I personally would not be spending $200 for eSports tickets. I wouldn't probably even be spending 50 I would be spending, if I had one, if I wanted to go to something, it would be probably in the, the 20 to $30 range. Gotcha. That, that makes sense. But I mean, you're not really as invested as some people get. You don't really that have a, a team that you're following, for example. Yeah, I'm not probably... Oh, if I went to an eSport event, what would I want to see? Well, I want to see them playing, but then it's also one of those things, if I was really into it, I wonder if they would have some sort of workshop event attached to it. So like, hey, this is what they're doing, and hey, this is how you can get better at it. That would be interesting. I also think it might be interesting to have... Um Maybe a session where you play against the people? Oh, like have a, a, like a little uh, charity event where you <laughs> pay $20 towards a charity, get slaughtered by an esports team. Right. No, I would, I would pay for that. If, you know, if I, like it, I could easily analogize this to uh, analogize. Is that a word? <laughs> I don't think so. I'll look that up later. But um, I could change this with curling, like have a charity event where you actually play a couple of ends against some of the Olympic teams. 
that were at national, that would actually be a decent moneymaker because everybody would love to just, you know, they, they got to play against Olympians. Right. Even for just a couple events, that would make sense. So there's a lot of growth that esports could could do. Well, it not could do, it is doing it. I mean, in the sakes, you're going to have primetime coverage on ESPN. That is true. So other news that's been coming out is uh, last week we talked about the return of guitar games and we thought, ah, no, it's going to happen. And then... Um, it happened. It happened. Yeah, I thought that was funny because I was thinking about when you guys were talking about it, I was like, no, I would absolutely love to play another guitar game. I totally want another rock band. And sure enough, in less than a week, we get news that Rock Band 4 is coming out. What I think is uh, is really cool about it is they are working hard to make the old peripherals work with it. They're also working hard to keep your old DLC. That's what they said, is all your previous purchase content and any songs you heard from your previous Rock Band games to sequels will work in Rock Band 4. Not song, not the original song discs, though. Those are licensed to that thing. It's a stupid copyright issue. Right. What I'm really looking forward to is replacing the drum sets because for a while there I was I wanted to play it at my house but I couldn't because I couldn't find the drum sets for anywhere that weren't like on eBay for $2,000 or some crazy crap like that. Yeah, I've got my two guitars sitting in a bin right next to me over here. I wonder if I could sell those on eBay. No, actually one of them doesn't work anymore. I have to actually tear it apart and figure out what's going on with it. You could probably still sell it on eBay if you just let them know. Yeah, probably. Oh man, that was fun playing the guitar thing on Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Yeah, there were many hours spent playing Rock Band over here. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm a little disappointed because I have heard rumors that the um, keyboard will not be a part of Rock Band 4. What? Yeah. Um, and that's one of my favorite parts. That was like the one thing I was looking forward to whenever I got around to actually getting Rock Band 3, getting the little keyboard. Yeah. Um, I think they said it on their website that they weren't going to do anything with the keyboard. Well, that's just poop. So maybe we'll have to wait till Rock Band 5. Well, they said they might actually not make a Rock Band 5. They might just make Rock Band 4 as the platform and then just upgrade that one incrementally when new stuff comes around. So maybe, maybe there's Rock Band 4 and then later they'll add in the keyboard. That's a good hope. We will have to see. But I, I definitely think they're going about creating the Rock Band for the right way with the backwards compatibility. Yeah, because how many people on the Rock Band people have already got? People who care about this game already have put the money in for the equipment. And you'd turn off a lot of people who would have to go out and buy brand new equipment for everything. Or have to re-download songs. That would be awful. Or, yeah, or have to repurchase songs. No, yeah. I, oh, man, there's so many things on there that all... Oh, so they could have gone really badly, but they chose pretty wisely so far. Yeah, that would be nice, especially if at some point they can actually get the licensing for the other discs. So all you got to do is pop in your old Rock Band discs and then just have it transfer over. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. I wonder how compatible the old discs are with the new Blu-ray drive. Mm, that's an excellent question. We'll see, I guess. So shall we talk about all the free things coming out? Sure. Where do you want to start first? Um, let's start with World of Warcraft. Yeah, World of Warcraft could be free. Could be. If you're good at the game. Yeah, they're they're taking the Eve route here, which uh, which is good because it was always funny to find out how much you know people are actually embezzling in real life money because there's a correlation between the tokens that you can buy in Eve for real money and you know, the rest of the Eve equipment. But right. you can buy tokens for real money for game time, and you can sell them on the auction house for in-game gold. Which means if you have a lot of gold on your character, you can buy tokens from somebody who's 
who's already bought it. And then you can not have to pay a subscription ever again. Well, for that month. True. Then your your subscription will just keep on getting bumped back year after year after year. So theoretically, it's a free-to-play model, but we'll see. The, um, the pricing of the tokens has not been announced. Plus, they said it is going to be fixed by Blizzard um, for each server. So it's going to have a different price per server? That's interesting. WoW tokens will launch in each of the game's core regions, Americas, Europe, Taiwan, Korea, and China, with each region having its own pricing based on supply and demand. Interesting. So the, the, when it first comes out, the prices are just going to go all over the place until enough people buy enough of the tokens to kind of level out the market. It'll definitely be something interesting to keep following, see how it goes, whether it'll collapse under itself or if people are getting a lot of good use out of it. Well, I love how they originally said that the entire purpose of this is to combat gold farmers. I don't understand how it would combat gold farmers. Well, people will spend, will pay real money to a third-party gold farmer to get a large amount of gold. And so this one, Blizzard says, okay, instead of buying it from somebody else, you can technically just, you know, spend real money and buy and get gold from us. But and it's it, not against your terms of service. Won't it really depend on the pricing? Because if I can get a lot of gold from a gold farmer for significantly less than it would cost for me to get the WoW tokens, I can, instead of I, instead of paying WoW for the monthly subscription, I can pay the gold farmer's money and play WoW for much cheaper. True. So they're going to have to set a price point on the thing that's competitive with the gold farmers. Yeah. So I don't know if it'll kick out the gold farmers or make them more useful. Well, we'll find out. Granted, most of the time, the gold farmers now, instead of actually farming the gold, just try and hunt down the people with uh, weak account passwords and no two-point authentication. Right. Because it's easy money. Yeah. So it, it, they just try and hack the accounts rather than actually try and farm the gold. Which you think Blizzard could easily you know, put up a notice or something saying like they could try to curb that by saying if you're sending more than 50% of your goal to one person or whatever. I don't know. There are times when I'm offloading basically a character and I just want to kill him to just offload all my gold to another one of my characters. Yes, but that's sending it to yourself. If you're sending it to somebody else. True. If you're sending it to another account, then yeah, that should, that should at least put a flag in their system. Right. Because if it's happening multiple times to the same account, then you got something going on. So other free news, um, we've got a crap load of um, game engines that just came out to be free. Yeah, we had talked about, uh, I think two weeks ago, how Epic was allowing their grants for their uh, use of the Unreal Engine. And now um, Epic says that Unreal Engine 4 is now available at no charge. Right. It's no charge to get the engine and develop on it. If you make over $3,000 a quarter, they expect 5% of it. Wow. Yeah. Another engine that came up was the Source 2 engine, um, which is completely free to develop on. And there's no royalty fee as long as you publish through Steam. Well, that makes sense there. That's like, hey, we'll give you the thing, but you got to use our marketplace, which is where Steam's making all their money. Right. Well, and with Steam, they still take like 30% of your profits. Yeah, when they actually sell on Steam, it is, I think, somewhere in that, excuse me, that range. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to develop the game on the Unreal Engine and sell it through Steam, then you would automatically take 30% hit off of the Steam. And then if you made over $3,000, you'd have to pay 5% to Epic. So it's not a bad deal to use the Source 2 engine if it's any good. Um, unfortunately, they haven't really unveiled any more details other than we're going to give you it. They don't. They haven't told us what it is. 
Well, they've also there's also the third one of Unity is actually doing something similar as well. Unity just announced their fifth engine, um, and I believe I, I need to take another look at the at the actual engine and their their subscription fees and stuff like that. But I don't there's there's two engines available. There's the personal edition and then there's the professional edition. Personal edition is straight up free, no strings attached. The professional edition is seventy five dollars per month or fifteen hundred dollars upfront, and that's it. Yeah, so it's it's rather than having you pay royalties after the fact. It's while you're developing, you have to pay them money. Yeah, or just pay fifteen hundred dollars and you get it. Right. I'm not sure which way I would go if I was a new company. It would all depend on the the uh, benefits for each one. I mean, the Unreal Engine 4 is a super powerful engine. But yeah, Unity can cover a lot more platforms. Unity is much better at spreading out the platforms. But Source 2 also has a lot of... Um, you. Uh, it's going to be pretty easy to, to distribute on um, PCs, all PCs, because it's going to be using the new Vulkan software, which is kind of like OpenGL, but it's that to the next level. It's basically the competitor to DirectX 12. Man, there's just so many options out there now. Right. Things so, you don't think about. You see those little splash screens at the beginning of the game and it loads, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, Unreal. Oh, yeah, okay, sure, Unity. Oh, sure, whatever. But now it's like, oh, well, now what are they doing? I mean, the options are good. Giving giving the developers lots of choices with their game engines is not a bad thing. No, not at all. Especially if you Source 2 has a greater integration with the Steam UI and all the other stuff there. It, but it'll be interesting and see if there's a big spike in indie games. So another thing that Valve is uh, doing is they partnered with HTC, and they're going to be making a new virtual reality headset. Yeah, this one's surprising. I was like, oh, I, I knew they were doing a virtual reality headset, but I didn't know that they had reached out you know, to HTC to actually manufacture this thing. Yeah, it'll be uh, the first one that's going to be commercially available um, sometime later this uh, holiday season. And it looks like so far it's the one that's the most advanced in technology. What it uses is it uses two different base stations that shoot a whole bunch of different lasers um, all over the room. And there are like 30-some sensors on the actual headpiece itself. And when that sensor gets an impulse of the laser, it can use timing information to know exactly where you are in the room. So it's and, kind of like a, a Wiimote on steroids. Yes. Um, it's like having thousands of Wiimotes connected to your head or 30 Wiimotes connected to your head and knowing where exactly you are at all times. And apparently the latency that they've got with this process, since it doesn't have to do such uh, hard computations, is significantly faster. And um, according to Valve, they've had zero people feel nauseous after using the system. Yeah, that's the one problem with VR is that disconnect and the lag really start to get to some people. But now I'm just picturing somebody with like 30 remotes strapped to their head in some sort of weird helmet looking thing. Yeah, it's not it's just the tip of the remote is all you have to imagine. Not the actual controller part. But, but still, um, the 30 of those just around the it's fun it's funny. It is. Um, what what's really cool is it's the they've got the highest specs so far of displays. I want to say like each display is like um, almost full HD for and there's two displays, one for each eye. Um, they're operating at 90 hertz, which is um, really quite fast. Um, they said it's really light. Um, there's one group of people that I follow, the tested group, um, who. 
uh, work with um, Adam and Jamie from the Mythbusters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they ask really good questions, and they seemed that, like, they've been following this VR thing since Oculus, and it seemed that their reactions to the Vive have been, like, this is outstanding, this is by far the best experience they've had. Um, what's interesting is the Oculus Rift is going more towards a sit-down experience, whereas this Vive, you literally are walking around in your room, and it the the... Due to the base stations, it knows exactly where all the walls are in your room and will, if you get close to a wall, it'll kind of put up the, this almost virtual holodeck kind of thing. So you know that you're almost going to bump into a wall. Yeah, I've got one of the articles here. So somebody's hand-on experience with the thing. They said that the grid pattern from the holodeck in the next generation will actually start to fade in if you get close to a wall. Yeah, so it's a cool way to still give you the... Um, the, the mental support that you're not going to run into anything while still not breaking the immersion too badly. So yeah, it's a it's a 15 by 15 space that you can walk around in. My question is, how is that going to affect things like a first-person shooter where your, your map level is massive? So there's always you can move like you would in a video game using a controller. Um, but you could also theoretically envision a game being made where you're in a room that gets under attack by people and it's more like... Um, you know the arcade games out there where you have to like hide behind a wall and then you push a button, you jump out, and you have to shoot a whole bunch of people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It, you could do the exact same kind of gameplay, except you don't push a button. You, the person actually has to literally duck behind the cover. Or what you could do is one of those virtual locked room scenarios. Right, and um, there's a lot of things that you can do with that. Um, one of the demos that they showed off was uh, basically from Portal 2, there's two robots, Peabody and Atlas. Atlas is the small round one. He's broken and you have to go in and literally repair him. And so you, he's floating in front of you with all of his parts basically exploded, like in an exploding diagram so that they're like floating above where they would be. And so you have to swap out pieces and rotate him and do all this other stuff. Um, and they said it was completely immersive to, to do it. But I could totally see like a game coming up where you are, you need to repair a car, for example, and the parts are exactly how they would be in real life. And you would literally have to do all the steps that you do in real life to fix a car if it had a problem with its carburetor, for example. Well, this is this is the one thing that I remember we talked about this with the Microsoft augmented reality headset that they were doing. And this sort of thing here is there's a lot of implications for this thing outside of gaming. Yes, the gaming things are pretty to look at, but the idea of being able to, you know, to wear a headset and being able to have that in front of you, if, heck, if you could have this thing where it actually could see the engine, yes, you're going to have the headset on there, but you could actually be physically moving something and physically doing something but in the virtual world like seeing so many other things at the same time yeah you could get a whole bunch more information by looking at an engine than you would if you literally just looked at the engine yeah, yeah it just has a little like floating parts like okay you need to remove this you need to remove this bolt this bolt this bolt this bolt this bolt and they're all like highlighted in the virtual reality but in front of you it's just a regular engine on a block oh my gosh brilliant yeah it'll be very very interesting to watch the space outside of gaming in the near future because, I mean, when it comes down to teaching things, this this is going to be outstanding. Yeah, it's it's 
just like uh, airline pilots and having most of their time now be in simulators. Yes, you still have to actually fly a plane before you can get your pilot's license, but there's so many things that you can try out in a simulator first, one that you know looks exactly like the plane you're going to be flying in, but that way you don't have to, you know, if you screw up at an engine salt thing, you're, you know, you're not going to die. Yes, you're going to crash the plane and die virtually, but you get to reset it and try again. Right. I mean, I can even see this this technology being used for um, trying to give the general populace, say, going to the moon like in Apollo 13, where you literally have to do all the things they did in Apollo 13 in a virtual space where it's exactly how the simulators would have looked. Oh, yeah, that, that would be interesting. That's the education value of the thing here. Like, you get some virtual reality cameras whenever those start coming up here, and you actually are being able to virtually look at things like Machu Picchu or that sort of stuff. And I know that the, the Valve was saying that they were also playing with not one-to-one movement, but possibly, like, taking a step, and instead of going one meter or however far your, your step is, you go maybe 20 meters. So you, you take small little steps to do moving around in an area, but if you want to go a big jump to the next area, you just make a regular step. Well, that could work. So there are lots of things that they're going to try and we'll see what works best, but I'm really, really excited for this technology to be out in consumers' hands um, this this winter. Now, there are two things that I've got that are negatives in my book on this. The first is the fact that the head-mounted display will still have to be tethered to a PC, so sooner or later you're going to get turned around and you're going to trip on your own wire. That's true. Um, Depending on how long they make the wire, that might delay how long that happens, but you're right. Eventually... If you have it on for more than like an hour, you're probably going to get tangled up in it. So that it, yeah, they need to make it wireless. That's the one kicker there. But then wireless introduces more lag and delay between the actual brain for the operation and the headset. So then now right. you're going to have to worry about that. The second is um, this headset uh, wouldn't be fitting with uh, glasses, according to the guy who did the hands-on test with this, is that his glasses didn't fit inside the headset. Um, yeah, I can see that being a problem for people who are farsighted, um, but people who are near said it shouldn't be a big issue. But still, even if I take off my glasses, there's some stuff even, you know, the three or four inches away from my eyes that are still slightly out of focus. So it'd have to be some sort of, I, I guess, a lens built into the system or a way of inputting lenses into the system. So if I take off my glasses and put it on, I can still actually, you know, see. You know, there's these other things called contacts you can use. Yes, I know there's things called contacts and uh, I, I've tried them in the past and I'm it's just so much easier with glasses. I don't have to try and poke myself in the eye. I don't have to worry about taking them out before I go to bed. I don't have to worry about a lot of things. Glasses are just there and they're extremely helpful. Granted, it is nice, you know, to actually see things in focus in my peripheral vision. That freaked me out the yeah. first time. Well, for me, I, I can't use glasses because they give me headaches because I'm so used to having everything looking clear instead of just a small little screen in front of me. So. Um, The biggest issue that I see with the Vive coming out this year is the fact that um, the displays are really large and go really fast. It's going to be needing a lot of graphical horsepower behind it. So, I mean, they said it's basically the equivalent of running games 90 hertz on a 4K screen. That will take a lot of computing power. Yes. So that's my biggest hang-up is that, yes, the Vive might be 
200 or 300 dollars but i'm gonna have to buy a hundred plus or a thousand plus dollar pc to be able to use it well they they said that this thing is going to work with this uh steam vr console that's attached to it so it might just be like a like a steam machine specifically built for the vr headset well we'll definitely have to see more as they give out more information like pricing and all that other stuff yes the price point is going to be the killer i'm also actually kind of interested in this steam link that uh valve announced as well where you can actually stream um, your Steam games to any other TV or monitor that has an HDMI port on it. This is kind of what they've been promising for a while, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, it would be $50 for that one. And then you can also get it with a Steam controller. And it's got USB ports. You can plug in other things to the thing to stream it back to your PC. So it's Steam Machine wherever you want it. Speaking of which, they are going to be releasing some actual Steam Machines coming in November, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did you see the, the price points on these things are a little on the high side? What? Why? What's the advantage of me buying a Steam box for basically the same price that I could buy an actual Windows PC and put Steam on it? Um, it's pre-built. You don't have to worry about building it. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, that's it, it's a, it's a, it's an all-in-one box. So it's pre-built. You don't have to worry. It's plug and play. But still, it's like I could you know spend the same amount of money, build myself a Windows computer, and have a Windows computer that can do a lot more than just Steam games. Well, a Steam machine can do more than just Steam games too. I mean, it is a Linux operating system. True. Granted, also the Linux drivers for graphics are not as up-to-date as, you know, the drivers for, like, what is it, DirectX 12 now that's coming out? Um, yes, that's definitely the case. I mean, DirectX 12 is going to be a Windows-only thing forever because they're not going to let that go. But that's where the Vulkan thing in the Source 2 engine comes into play. Okay, so we'll have to see once the Vulkan and Source 2 actually get on the machine, see how they actually compare to a regular Windows computer. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of those comparisons coming out once the boxes actually hit the market. I agree. Speaking of of boxes... There, were you going to talk about the NVIDIA Shield console? I was actually going to go with Microsoft, but no, we can go with the Shield console. Because they used to have the little like handheld Shield thing, but now I guess they finally took it out of the handheld and made it its own little box. So this is so this is what, like the NVIDIA version of a, a Steam machine? I, I'm guessing so. I mean, the stats are pretty good when I'm looking at them. Ultra 4K uh, HD ready. That's not bad. <laughs> No, and this thing is tiny. Yeah, this thing is super thin. Like, I think this is the same size as my Kindle. That's probably accurate. It's like my Kindle can play Crisis 3 at 4K resolution. It's 8.3 inches wide, I guess tall, um, 5.1 inches wide, and a depth of one inch. Okay, so it's about two of my Kindles. If you stack them together, then it would be about that size. But still, that's pretty crazy given a lot of these specs. Oh, yeah. Do they release the price for it? I am looking right now. Because while these stats are wonderful, if it's like a thousand and a half dollars eh. NVIDIA Shield will be available for $200 starting in May, which includes a Shield wireless game controller. Wow. $200? $200? Really? It must be the processor. I don't know. Those stats look a little high for 200 bucks. I that's, that's what I'm like, $200? Really? I was expecting something higher than that. That's that's surprising. I, I, hold on, I gotta like Google that just to make sure that's right though, the right part. Yeah, the tablet is uh, the NVIDIA, Nvidia Shield tablet is two hundred and sixty nine dollars. Huh. 
I think it might come down to the fact that the processor is ARM-based, so you really can't run anything that is a normal PC on it. Ah, okay. So it's a, it's a lot like a Steam box. It's just the NVIDIA version of it. Yeah, I think you'd have to use Android on it. Well, that's fine. There's a lot of Android applications that I could use. Yeah, it just doesn't... It makes it a little less flexible than if you could install Windows or Linux on it. Very true. As we just talked about, there's a lot more options for having a Windows computer than it is a specific box for gaming. So you wanted to talk about Microsoft? Yes. Um, Phil Harrison did a little bit of talking at GDC, and um, the news about him that came out actually wasn't about what he talked about. It's the fact that he's actually going to be leaving Microsoft. Where is he going? Well, since nobody wants to talk about this other than everybody talking about how he's leaving, nobody really knows. Interesting. Oh, okay. So, yeah, okay. So, uh, Harrison grew frustrated when Matrix left Microsoft, and Phil Spencer getting promoted did not result in him moving up the corporate ladder, and he decided to just move on. Gotcha. So, it was one of those... You get more responsibility, but we're not going to actually promote you. Well, no, no. Uh, the other guy got promoted, and he didn't, even though he was technically one of the major players of the Xbox. So he's like, well, if you're not going to pull me up the corporate ladder, I'm just going to move on. Okay. Well, I wish him luck in whatever endeavors he does next. Yeah, and well, once you know, we actually get news about this, this will be interesting. So I wonder who's going to replace his uh, shoes. That will definitely be interesting. Another sad bit of news, EA shut down Maxis. Now they... They're still going to have the Maxis IP, so there are still the Maxis games coming out. But no, the yeah, the original studio for SimCity and The Sims and all those classic, classic good games is getting shut down, mainly because what well, their last game was what SimCity that you know was not good at all. I wonder how much of that was their fault and how much of that was EA's fault, though. You know, I mean. Like the always on stuff probably wasn't their decision. Probably not, no. So it's it's sad because it means all those people have to look for new jobs. Yeah, and this one it, it hits you right in the child because you're like, really, EA is closing down Maxis, the same Maxis yet you know Sims and SimCity, those the titans of the childhood, Tower, all of the Sims stuff. I wish there was something we could do, but unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. No, if I'm gonna do anything. It's probably gonna play Cities Skyline, which is like what Sim Cities was supposed to be right man taking out maxis that oh that just it does that does not make for a good headline yes you're probably gonna have to close them down but really that's not a good headline to see another Another, horrible one would be the utorrent uh crapware that's going around yeah i just saw that i was like wow now to to clarify utorrent does not silently install this in the background that is not true correct um, what it is is when you install uTorrent, often they have offers for you to to install other software as well. Um, it, it's pretty clear to, that you would want to decline the offer, but people who just click accept and next and accept and accept end up getting a whole bunch of let's call them crapware. It's programs you really don't want running on your PC. They don't really help you. Um, but uTorrent gets a bit of a an advertising income from that, so that's why they put it on there. So the latest one is um, if you didn't click decline, you would install this Epic Scale, which is actually a BitTorrent miner, which means it'll use a lot of your CPU and the money to try to basically mine a, bit, a Bitcoin. 
Um, and the Bitcoin, you don't get to keep. It goes to the company. So you're spending technically your money with the, the power that you're spending to run your CPU at what normally would be something extremely high because these guys, you know, the actual Bitcoin miners are just using hundreds and hundreds of CPUs and GPUs for this sort of stuff there. Right. To mine a Bitcoin while your computer's not doing anything and you don't get any of that. Even Epic Scale said right now that they're actually donating 100% of its profits in the short term to charity. So that might be good. But still, that I, I don't know. It still cost. They're making money off of your uh, use of electricity. Yes, you are getting you. You're literally getting used, which is uh, something that I know a lot of um, viruses tend to do nowadays. Is they install these kinds of programs so that they can use your computer's cycles to profit for them. Yes, which is whenever you set up a new free piece of software, spend a few minutes and you know go through the menus and make sure that you know you're not installing things. So there's those times when I'm like in a hurry at work and I'm trying to update somebody's job and I accidentally forget to unclick the install ask toolbar. Right. That that has happened quite often. Well, I'm like, oh yeah, no. And then I forget about my like, oh crap, crap, crap. So I got to go back there later and uninstall the ask a little bit off. It's uh, it's a practice that I wish didn't have to happen, but it happens because it's a way for them to gain ad revenue. Yeah, it's a way for them to make money. If it, you're giving out a free software, you have to make money somehow. And some of these companies decided to add third-party software to their install. And most of them don't do it in the background. Most of them, they ask you, do you want to install this? But they don't make it very like noticeable. If you're just used to clicking next, then you're probably going to install stuff you don't want. Yeah, it's just take your time and look through all the stuff. The little extra time you spend installing is going to be worth it to not have to deal with the headache of uninstalling these sort of things. Absolutely true. So GDC was this week, and so was the Mobile World Conference in Spain. I was expecting more news to come out of this, but basically there were just two stories that came out of the Mobile World Conference. Brian, what phone are you? What, What phone do you have? I have a Note 2. I haven't been keeping up with phones for quite a while. Well, I've got the I've got the S5, and I was interested in what the S6 was going to do because I heard it was going to be better. In my opinion, it's not. Yes, it's going to have a better camera. Yes, it's got a better screen. But is it going to have more RAM? I think it does have more RAM than mine. Uh, yes, but, it does. My phone only has two gigabytes of RAM. The new one's got three. Gotcha. And your caveat? Um, well, they got rid of the, the plastic backing on this phone, which I, I'm okay with because this plastic backing makes it look a little chintzy. But they went with an, uh, a solid aluminum body, which means the battery is not replaceable and there's no longer a micro SD card slot in the phone. Ooh, that is awful. So two of the things that, you know, differentiate it from an iPhone, which is, you know, the ability to swap. The, Samsung even did an ad based off of the fact that, yes, you could easily just, you know, swap the battery on the S5. The other guys are, you know, stuck charging their phone on a wall socket. And then they turn around in the next iteration, they remove it. The battery's actually smaller, too. It's got less uh, milliamp hours than the S5. Now, does that mean it lasts less time or just that it's using less power? Well, it theoretically has less of a battery reserve to call on when it uses the battery. Does, okay. does it use less power? I don't know. It depends on it. using power. All depends on how many apps you've got installed, how long you've got the screen on, what the screen brightness is. Do you have GPS on? Do you have Wi-Fi on? Do you have Bluetooth on? It's all that stuff there. But the, the amount of resources it can pull from is a lot less now. So you feel it's got a couple of steps forward, but quite a few major steps back. Yeah, it's. I have a feeling that this will be my last Samsung phone. 
if they continue down this line of basically just turning their phone into what they think the iPhone should be, yeah, no, not going to do it. What did you think about the Edge uh, release, though? The Galaxy 6 S6 Edge? Oh, where the screen goes all the way around the, the, the edge of the phone on both sides? Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't get what the purpose of it is. Um, I know that the Galaxy Edge, the the Note one, the Note Edge, um, they used, it only went over one side, but they used that side to give you information while it was on its face. So you could get like, uh, I don't know, small bits of information like you have a message or this is a stock feed. If I wanted that sort of stuff there, I would just get it on my watch. Granted, my watch is currently in the broken state and that's, oh, oh my gosh, the amount oh, no. of hoops that I have to try and jump through right now to get, okay, so this is a side note on this thing. So my gear watch starts to freak out. Like the screen starts to flicker and rotate and discolor and it's starting to fail. So this is after the 90 day where I can return it to Amazon, which mind you, the Amazon where I bought it from was the direct link from Samsung's website to this one. So I call up Samsung and I'm like, hey, I need to get a, a return on this thing there because I have the, the US warranty one year. And um, they're like, okay, so what's your serial number? And I'm like, well, here's what the number is on the watch on the back. And they're like, that's an international number. So they could not get me a warranty for this thing there because I technically have an international version and not a U.S. version, even though... It was the U.S. version that sold it to you. Yes. So I'm in the middle of a a, a weird limbo right now of trying to get my phone or my watch repaired. And it's like, this is ridiculous. I almost... I'd hate to do this, but I almost just want to buy another one from Amazon and then within the 90 days return this first one back to them. That's not an awful idea. Um, It might be considered as fraud. Yeah, it might be fraud and um, but if you can't, if they can't let me, you know, return the one that I've actually got, I'll just get to just do a swap. Yeah, I, I mean, I can understand how frustrating that can be. You've got Comcast. I, I think you know how frustrating things can be. Yeah. So since you're not really into the Samsung Galaxy stuff, um, does the HTC One M9 look good to you? I don't know. I, I was literally looking for the Samsung one, and then when that one failed, I'm like, well, what else is coming out? And basically, the only one really announced also at MWC was the fact that the One M9 was also coming out, which I don't know if this one also has. I don't think the M9 has got a replaceable battery either. I don't know. I can't tell. It looks like it's got that same brushed aluminum body that all the cell phones are doing now. I'm trying to see if the uh, has a replaceable battery in it. Yeah, I'm looking and I don't see anything about it. They are saying that the, the brushed aluminum finish is jewelry grade. Whatever that means. Ooh, so my phone, you know, doesn't accidentally get scuffed. That's what my freaking auto box is for. Yeah. You know, the thing is, they probably did that. They probably removed the battery and moved the, the plastic case and micro SD card to make the phone thinner, which I'm like, I'm perfectly fine with this slightly thicker phone because it's got an otter box on it. It's protected. Right. Well, maybe we'll hear better news from other phones later in the year. Hopefully they're not all going this single body, can't access the battery route. Are there any other topics we want to hit up? Um, okay, so HTC One M9 has continued support for microSD expansion. Okay, so hopefully this one might be able to actually be better. So yeah, is there anything else on the list? Um, there was this this note about uh, science finds the best place to hide from zombies. 
Oh, there's always science and zombies, which is kind of funny because I was thinking of my what I would do if you know I had 24 hours to prepare for the end of the world or whatever it was. And I, my idea was, you know, go to some place a low population density. And this is what they said in this study that they did, which I love how people, you know, are actually spending their time and money researching this sort of stuff. It's important stuff. The best place to go is to Alaska. Yeah, I think I'm going to stay down here. I think I prefer to get on a, a yacht and just live off the yacht for a while. Oh, yeah. I just live off of Lake Michigan. You got a lot of fresh water there. You'll just have to, you know. There's some fish. There's some fish, yeah. And last I knew, zombies couldn't swim. The one thing I have to, the caveat I have to say is, okay, so you go to go to Glacier National Park, but think of the name, Glacier. What's it going to be like in wintertime up there? Right. The same thing happens with Alaska. It's like, really? I'm not sure I want to go that far north. It's cold. Yeah, it's like... I, Montana winters are bad enough. Canada winters are worse. Alaska winters are, oh my God, what the hell are you doing up here? Yeah. So while, yes, that might be the best place to avoid zombies, it's not going to be the easiest place to survive, especially without modern anemones. anemones. Yes. And as we read from Earth Abides, modern anemones. What word is that? Amenities? Amenities. There we go. Yeah. Both of us are like, abba dabba. Modern amenities are going to disappear at some point. So, wow. And to be completely honest, if zombies were real, they'd be taken out by the wildlife so quickly. But then we'd have zombie wolves, and that's going to be a pain in the butt. No, because then they'll be eaten by the vultures. And if they're zombie vultures, they can't fly. So, whatever. Well, they probably still... What was the... Was there a... There was a Resident Evil movie about that, where they had the birds attacking, right? Yeah, there was... Oh, it's the one that was set in the desert. Yeah, the one where they end up going to Vegas, which I think is the stupidest idea ever. I wouldn't call those movies quite brilliant in general. Oh, no, the Resident Evil movies. Those are the movies where I just shut off my brain for a bit and just eat some pop- mm, popcorn. That'd be tasty. Yeah, but it's definitely a, a popcorn movie. So I think that's all the topics. All right, so should we move on to the randoms? Sounds good to me. Okay, the first random is the random review, and normally this would be Dave's week, but Dave's not here, man. So I got to run two in a row. Make sure he does two in a row. Yes, no, I'll make sure, I'll put my, I'll put a note here on my sticky notes. Since normally when he does it without me, he tries to pass it off on people. Yes, yes, he does. All right, so what I am reviewing here, the headphones that are currently sitting on my head, the Sennheiser HD202s. These things are everywhere in the radio and TV industry. They are pretty much like the the workhorse of headphones. There's actually some uh, broadcast companies who sell these things in like a five pack or I think under a hundred bucks. So you're just getting these things. You can actually find some places for less than twenty bucks, and they're sold in massive packs because everybody loves them. And if you break them, oh darn, they're twenty bucks, and you can get another pair pretty cheaply. Yeah, Amazon has it for twenty five at the moment. Yeah, look at the reviews on Amazon. It's it's a it's a four star review with over a thousand reviews. These things these things are the the, the four tourists of headphones in the broadcasting industry. So does that mean you're enjoying them? Oh, I love these things. These these yes, they're not you know they're not the Bose, they're not the high end Sennheiser. The high end Sennheiser headphones are a couple hundred bucks. These things you can buy a bunch of these things, and if they start to fail, oh darn, just go out and get another pair. But these things, I I have the last pair of headphones I got from these guys lasted God, I think like three to four years. I've got a nice long cable. I think it's about a ten foot cable. Frequency response is pretty okay. It's not you know you're gonna lose some deep end, you're gonna lose some high ends on these. 
but they're they're not bad. They're, there's two headphones that I get. There's the earbuds, which are normally the uh, jellies that I get. Those are normally about seven to nine dollars for the in earbuds, and then for the over the ear headphones, I go for these guys. Twenty five bucks, perfectly fine. Now I do have to say though, if you're wearing glasses like I am, if you wear them for more than like an hour and a half to two hours, then it starts to wear on your ears. But I only do that, you know, once a week when I'm recording a podcast. So it sounds to me that this is one of those products that you highly recommend to people. Yeah, if you need a pair of headphones and you're not, you don't want to spend a lot of money, but you want just a decent pair of headphones, the HD 202s. I it, there's a reason why everybody loves these things because they're cheap and they're good. And like I said, it's twenty bucks. You break them, oh darn! You buy another pair for another twenty bucks. Which is definitely not something you can say if you spent like three hundred dollars on your headphones. Yeah, if you spend three hundred dollars on a headphones, it, we used to have a morning show guy on our WKZR main station who was. Uh, bit of a diva and he had like the $350 headphones and he was asking like so where can I go around town to get these things repaired and I'm like uh we have a guitar center maybe yeah I can't imagine where you would get them repaired at no those you probably have to ship somewhere to get them repaired and then that's just oh too much work 25 bucks you break these things you want them to get them repaired you don't even worry about it get another get another set things are also pretty lightweight too i think these are yeah these are only 130 grams which normally the other headsets are at least 200 to 300 grams so they're nice and lightweight they're closed cells so you don't you can actually cut out most most of the outside noise they're not actual active noise canceling they're just passive still those passive ones are pretty pretty impressive yeah no so i'm saying hd202 you talk to anybody in TV and radio, they know exactly what you're talking about with these headphones. I've been to multiple radio stations, seen them in multiple times with multiple people using it. It's just a cheap go-to headset. That I, I can't say anything else other than that. It's one of the things where you, you kind of ask your mechanic what car he drives, and it's the things like, you ask the guys in radio, hey, what headsets are you guys using? Oh, we use the HD202s. It's just one of those things. Awesome. Alright, so, random topic, rolled ahead of time, and the question is, paper or plastic bags? Right. For me, both. Really? When do you use paper bags? So I typically use paper bags the most when I'm uh, putting stuff away for recyclable reasons. Um, I find like putting cans and uh, paper and cardboard into a, a nice paper bag makes it easy for me to transport it down to the uh, to the recycle bin downstairs. And then since it's paper, it's going to be recycled. Yeah, so you, you just throw the, the transportation vehicle at the same time when you get rid of all the rest of the recyclers. Right. So for me, that that's very useful. And then I often use the plastic bags for transporting stuff around, um, like if I need to put something to work or bring it back from work. I would probably prefer to use the um, like the Meyer $1 bags that are supposed to be used over and over again, made out of linen or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, like, reusable totes. Yeah, we've got a whole bag full of reusable bags. But for me, I keep forgetting them, and they're in the car somewhere. So the plastic bags are just more accessible. We normally try and use the reusable totes, which I'd say about probably at least 80-90% of the time we use the reusable totes, and we're actually using them enough to actually, you know, warrant their manufacture. If I remember correctly, we talked about this years ago, where you have to use a reusable bag, I think, 40 to 50 times before it actually starts to make a difference. Wow. Using it less than that amount of time, it actually is it's not worth it. So you have to use it at least 40 to 50 times, if I remember correctly. This is an episode from long, long ago, and we know how well my memory works. About as well as mine. 
Well, the uh, plastic bags, what I actually use for those, we have a bunch of little tiny waste baskets around the apartment. We have a little tiny one in the bathroom, a little tiny one in the bedroom, one actually next to here, uh, next to the computer desks. The little tiny plastic bags are actually the perfect size for those things. So we haven't actually bought little tiny trash bags in a long time. Yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. Because it's going to be filled with non-recyclable trash. So the, the bag's not going to be able to be recycled. So we just use the bag, and then when we pull it out, it's already got handles on it, so we don't have to worry about tying anything off. We can tie the handles off, and then plastic trash bag. See, I can't remember the last time I ever had a paper bag. Yeah, I get them from time to time from um, Whole Foods. I think the last time I had a paper bag was Outback. Outback. When we went out to Outback, and we got a couple of boxes, and we also got, uh, we had three boxes. We had the Bloomin' Onion in a box, my leftovers in a box, Kate's leftovers in a box, and we had a cheesecake or dessert. They got us a nice big paper bag for, to carry all our stuff in. But the last time I visited paper bag is getting leftovers for dog getting a doggy bag from Outback. That's interesting because usually when I get uh, doggy bags of plastic, granted I haven't really gotten doggy bags from Outback, so. Well, when you order a blooming onion, you can't eat all of the blooming onion. You got your entree as well, and then when you get a free dessert along with it, that was all meant. That, was their, that used to be their frequent diner program, which once a month you could go there and get a free appetizer and dessert with the purchase of two entrees. Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, it was a good deal, and it was so good that they had to stop the deal because they were losing money on it. But, oh man, that was that was the life. Was once a month you'd go in there and be like, yes, this is this is good. Yeah, no, it's plastic or reusable for me. I haven't touched like a set of paper bag unless somebody gives me one, and even then, I don't even think last time I pulled them out of the closet. We store them in the closet in case we need them. But I'm gonna say ninety percent of the time plastic bag, but actually ninety percent of the time reusable bag. So neither when we forget the reusable bag, we go with plastic. So I think that answers that question. I think so too. Alright Brian, well thank you very much for being able to hop in here at such a last minute. No problem, glad I could help. And I guess uh, that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at RAPodcast or send us an email at mail at RAPodcast.net. Thank you for listening. <laughs>